Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by the American Raptors. I'm Henry Chisholm, and today we're going to do a couple of things. Um, we're going to talk about the scrimmage because the way things lined up with that post game show with the Arizona guys, there isn't much like crossover interest in Colorado's basketball scrimmage. But that was a thing that happened on Saturday, and it was a lot of fun. And I've got some notes to get through. Um, probably won't be the longest conversation. But then from there, I just want to talk about expectations for Brendan Lewis. Um, and I guess all I can really say is where I'm at. But I'm curious what everybody else is thinking too. Because I think there's a lot of different ways you can look at what happened with Brendan on Saturday. And you can either say, you know, it's it's Arizona. And Arizona isn't good. And they will make just about everybody they play look good. And there's, I mean, that's a valid point to make. You can also look at the flip side and say there were a few passes that Brendan Lewis made that were elite. I mean, that's that's those are the throws that can be the most difficult to make for a quarterback. The, the Obviously, the deep ball to Brendan Rice down the sideline for a touchdown hit him right in stride. It wasn't a big window. He puts that a yard shorter. Maybe Brendan can turn around and try to get up for it. Um, but, but that's going to be a, a tough contested catch downfield. He puts it a yard further down there and it's not getting caught. I mean, it was kind of a fingertip grab anyway. You look at the one to Dimitri Stanley in the back of the end zone and say, well, he put that right on the money and sure it wasn't a touchdown cause it was dropped, but that's another just really good throw. The, the touchdown, um, uh, toward the end of the game, I think that last drive, um, when he hits Dimitri, on like the crossing route in the end zone up against the sideline. That's another ball just put in good places. And on top of that, there's peripheral stuff you like too. You know, he's making decisions quicker um, and some of that, which I guess wasn't necessarily true in the first half, but he got there. So we'll talk through some of that stuff. Um, again, I think there's a wide range of ways that you could be viewing Brendan Lewis at this particular point in time. Um, all I can really do is give you mine. So we'll get there later on. Also, tomorrow is Basketball Media Day. Um, tomorrow's Tuesday, by the way, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, so plan for that is I'll be up there bright and early for basketball practice. After men's basketball practice, get a chance to um, talk one-on-one -on -one with really whoever you want. Tomorrow I'm just wanting to talk to Eli. Because that's the thing about like these media days, and I've said this before, it's really a chance for all of the TV reporters in town to get up there. And, and get a chance to knock out a bunch of interviews because, you know, a, a lot of us, or maybe not a lot, but a few of us are up there a couple, a few times a week. 
and you can talk to whoever you want after practice at those points. And so it isn't like incredibly valuable. Um, and so that's why I just figured this might be, there's like an hour booked out and I want to do a long thing on Eli. And so Eli, who, by the way, wants to go by Elijah Parquet now, not Eli Parquet. Um, I don't know why, but I can tell you I'll have the answer after tomorrow. And that's uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to him about. But um, that's going on after that. There's like a press conference with Tad. Again, like I get to talk to Tad basically every day that I want to. Um, There's media availabilities like four days a week with him. And I get up there for two probably, three maybe. But it is interesting to see what what questions do the people who haven't been at practice the last few weeks have you know we we've asked a whole bunch of different questions and some are in depth and some are about the conference some are about all that sort of stuff but once you get into this this is kind of like the preseason press conference for Tad Boyle and you have to kind of reset cuz it isn't necessarily what what am i writing about today that i want to ask about what really are the big questions going into the season and that's obviously my job to think about that and come up with them um, but then also everybody who's going to be there, the TV people, the newspapers, all of them, get to see what, what they are asking about. And I'm curious to hear what, what those thoughts will be. Um, from there, um, we actually get to hear from the ski coach, the new ski coach. Um, we'll hear from J.R. Payne and the women's side thing in a press conference after that. Then we get lunch, which is pretty exciting for me personally. Um, and then after that... I'll uh, be sitting down with a couple of the women's basketball players, and we're going to get like 20 minutes or something uh, to to put on the podcast for tomorrow. So a lot of basketball content tomorrow, and then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we'll be flipping it back over to football real heavy because there's a game on Saturday that all of a sudden does look winnable because Colorado, again, is capable of winning football games. So that's exciting. Um, so there's kind of the plan for the week. I'm not going out to the game on Saturday. Um, the, the plan before the season was to go to a few of the, the road games, a couple or a few, um, start with Arizona state, go to Utah for sure. And then see if there's some other games during the season that wind up being worth going to the way the season is played out. <laughs> not, not planning on traveling all that much. Um, especially because, you know, we have like travel budgets and the way that works is like football and basketball is combined. So if I don't go on football trips, I get to go on more basketball trips. And as of right now, it seems like there's probably, probably more going on with the basketball team this year than football. And, uh, there we go. So there's the thought process there. Point is I'm not going to the game on Saturday. Um, I will be here and I'll actually be down at the DMVR bar. And if you guys want to come down, we'll have, like, the bar will have the sound on for the game. I don't know that they'll put the game on every TV. Um, but, I mean, just because there's so many other games. But I bet there's going to be at least 10, 15 TVs that have the Buffs game on. We'll have the sound on. Um, I'll be there. It'll be a lot of fun if you guys want to come hang out. Haven't been down there yet. Members get, like, the big beers, all that stuff. Uh, so start planning now. It's a 1.30 game. Uh, it's going to be a great day down at the DMVR bar. Okay, let's get into uh, today's show, though, instead of talking about all the things that are happening, not today, um, for like 10 minutes like we just did, but uh, the scrimmage on Saturday. 
Um, let's just start with the big picture stuff. And I guess to, to, to really frame it all, I'm going to say that going into that game, I was worried about the scoring. And I think going into the season, we're all pretty worried about the scoring, right? Like, you, you look at the pieces the Buffs have back, and you really like them defensively, and you wonder how much scoring punch they can get out of some of these freshmen because you just know that they're going to need it. Um, so that's kind of the big thing that I was most concerned about going into the scrimmage, and so that's what I focused on. But I was pretty happy with what I saw offensively. Um, there were flaws. You know, there were too many turnovers. And I don't actually have the stats. They don't. They didn't track stats for media for this. And I, I you know, took notes and all that stuff. But I, you have to make the decision beforehand, like, okay, am I charting out every single shot, every turnover, all this sort of stuff? Am I going to be, like, on Twitter a little bit more, kind of spreading stuff out instead of doing all that stuff? And so I didn't do, like, the shot-for-shot shot stats, um, but what I can tell you is that the, there were too many turnovers and KJ Simpson had a couple of rough ones. Um, there were, I mean, he actually had a nice play to start the whole scrimmage, um, give him some credit, but I think the, the, the first play was actually a steal from KJ and he took it down the court, made a layup through a bunch of guys who are a bunch taller than him. And that was really exciting. Um, and we'll get into KJ a little bit in a second. But there were too many turnovers. And that was kind of probably the biggest concern that comes out of this scrimmage. But they were still able to score a bunch of points. And so because there are so many points on the board, if you expected a perfect offensive performance in in the, the preseason scrimmage from any team you're going to be pretty disappointed. When you factor in the circumstances for these Buffaloes, you know, they lost a lot of their roster. They lost basically half of their production, more than half of their production from last year. They replaced it basically entirely with freshmen. Yeah, it's going to be even uglier than um, your your average scrimmage this time of year. Um, but, you know, even with those caveats, bottom line is there were too many turnovers. On top of that, though, they scored so many points. And... I think they scored them in ways that you're excited about. First of all, there were a bunch of transition points because of the turnovers. Um, and it's kind of the double-edged sword um, because obviously one team is giving up those transition points and one team is able to create them. Um, and like it's, it's pro for one side, con for the other, but they're all Buffaloes. And so it's just like, well, what does this even mean? Um but in general, the scoring was good. And, and Keyshawn Bartholomew was probably um, the, the, the highlight of the day. Um, he, was, he was filling it up. I think he had like a third of the points. in the in, So the way it worked was it was two 20-minute scrimmages. Instead of one 40-minute scrimmage, I think they mostly just wanted to reset the score at halftime and uh, also make the end of the half a little bit more competitive because you're trying to win, not just like, okay, well, we'll see what we can do, see if we can cut the lead. Um, the starters won by a lot, which, again, isn't a surprise, but it's what happened. Um, yeah, Keyshawn, though, looked nice, and he had probably a third of the points for for his team um, in that first scrimmage. We talked uh, before, I think we talked about it, but he, uh, he shot the ball from three more often than just about anybody on the roster. I think on a per-minute basis, only Maddox Daniels took more threes last season. 
Um, the problem for Keyshawn was that he made just over 30% of them. And so that, to me, is kind of one of the really big questions for this team this year is does Keyshawn have his three-point shot? Because that just opens up so much. He's a good driver. He's a good finisher. He made some massive dunks. Um, but it's so much easier to get those opportunities when you're stretching the defense out by making your threes. And on top of that, like I said, you know, there's there's going to be points for this team where they're struggling to score. I think that even if the the offense is better than is we we'll probably expect it to be this year, there's still going to be scoring droughts. And to have somebody who's a knockdown three-point shooter, somebody who is willing to take some deeper threes, if they're on and making those, that is valuable. And again, you look at that point guard position and say, it's not going to be as good as it was last year because you don't have McKinley right there. And obviously with McKinley right, you know, he's he's gone, so you lose some defense. He's gone, so you lose playmaking. He's gone, so you just lose like basketball senses, basketball IQ, knowing what to do in what situation. You know, how do you play the you know, two for one game at the end of the half, all that sort of stuff. Um, but at the same time, if all of a sudden you're turning that into a, a better shooting position, that's not going to make up the gap. But you're going to need to find some things like that to be able to keep it anywhere close to where it was um, a year ago. And Keyshawn, to me, that three-point shot, it looks good. He's obviously confident in it. It was really falling. He's, he made maybe three of his first four. Um, it that's kind of one of the, these X factors we talk about. I guess the biggest X factor is just Jabari Walker himself. And to be honest, he was pretty quiet in, the, in that scrimmage. You know, there were there were sequences where he would just take over. Um, you know, there, there was one where he goes down and, and makes a three. Um, I think this was to start the game. You know, so he was on the other team, the team that turned the ball over on the first play. But there was a, there was a three-pointer that I think might have been their first points. Um, then two possessions later, he, uh, he gets a nice and one under the basket, um, makes the layup, draws the foul, converts it. Um, and so you see stuff like that where, where there's just spurts where he takes over. And to be honest, I mean, you don't look at a player like, um, Jabari and say he should just be a dominant scoring threat on every possession, you know, because he isn't somebody you say, okay, he's just going to create for himself off the bounce. You're just going to clear everything out and let him get to work. You know, that's just not the the style of basketball player that he is. You know, that's um, the, the, I mean, mostly because he's a six foot eight forward, you know, and he, there's a couple of those guys who do that stuff, but there aren't many. And I don't think that Jabari is lacking the necessary skills to do that kind of stuff. It's just kind of feeling out what he does offensively because one option is just to leave him in the corner because he took 1.7 threes per game last year and made 53% of them. And so if you just want to put Jabari Walker in the corner offensively and say, Hey, let's see if we can get him open, give him some easy looks and just fill it up from the corners. That's not what I would do just because he's capable of so many other things. But that is one of the many options you have with Jabari. You know, do you, do you want him in the pick and roll so that you can try to get him on the move and try to get some lobs up to him so he can finish him? Then he, then he can pop off of there too and see if he can float back to the three-point line. And there's, there's a bunch of different ways that you can play Jabari. And it just having him go ISO is 
pretty low on the list at this point. Um, and so that just means that he's not the easiest player to say, hey, you just expect a nice 20 points from him. You know, that's not his style. Um, so, yeah, Jabari in spurts was dominant. Um, some good plays on the boards, some some good defense as well. I don't think he got called for many fouls. Um, but, again, he's, he's scoring in those spurts. And it's probably what you expect from him, right? Because they're they'll get good matchups, that sort of stuff. I don't know. We'll 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 see. I, I'm not coming away down on Jabari Walker at all. I don't want it to sound like that. I mean, it's just pretty neutral day. He was out there. He put up some numbers in in stretches, and sure. Um, what else? Oh, I brought up KJ. He starts things with the steal and takes it coast to coast. Um, he had some more nice finishes too. Um, I, I wonder, I wonder what it looks like game in game out against the PAC 12, because during that scrimmage, he was, he was playing well, first of all, but he just puts his head down and gets to the rim and the layups were falling for him. Again, he's kind of an undersized point guard. He is an undersized point guard. Um, if you just look at the way this guard position works, you know, first of all, you've got Keyshawn who. I think his strength might be that three-point shot. He still looked good doing the other stuff, too. He was running the offense well, and he got some layups, got to the rim. But him, to me, he's kind of that three-point threat. You know, stretch the defense out and then work inside from there. Um, you've got K.J. Simpson, who's just a bulldog, who wants to get his head down and get to the rim. Kind of like De'Aaron Fox style of player, if you're looking for some sort of comp. Obviously, that's super lofty, but in that mold. Um, and then you look at Julian Hammond uh, from, from Cherry Creek, kind of the third point guard. And he's more of the like traditional, like throwback style of point guard. You know, he's doing things like, like getting a defender on his back in the pick and roll. And he works his way into the post with the defender on his back. So you've got that numbers advantage. And it's kind of like that, that Chris Paul, Chauncey Billups style of, of play. Um, and not to say again that he's one of those two, but if you're looking for that mold, and so if you're throwing like Keyshawn is, I, I the, the comp is really hard for him because you can't say he's like Steph or Dame because those are different levels of player. Um, they like what they do, unless you're that good at it, it just doesn't work. Um, but who else from that point guard position? Oh, Jamal Murray with the Nuggets, maybe. You know, somebody who stretches the three-point line, not just like you're, well, you got to guard him five feet out from the three-point line, but a guy who's going to stretch you from there. He's fairly big for the position, can get to the rim and finish, has some playmaking skills, but he, he is more of that scorer type from the point guard spot. So with those three options there, it's going to be fun to watch him play. Um, and, and again, I'm not... A basketball genius. I'm not a football genius either, but I spend a lot of time studying football, and I try to be as much as I can. Like, still a long way to go. Obviously, that's the way geniuses work. But basketball, I, I'm, I watch a lot of basketball. I don't. I'm not that guy. Um, but the different ways that you could put those guys out there. First of all, I think that it works well. Keyshawn can play off ball with either of those other two. Um, and 
that is is just a good note to have. Um, it, it makes it easier to figure out what these rotations look like when you have that option, even if you don't do it much. Um, also, there might be a time where you say, hey, they've got kind of a, a big point guard out there. It's a little bit slow. See if maybe you get KJ in there just to be a bulldog and get by guys and get to the rim. You know, with Julian, there's there's just so many different ways you can play that matchup. And obviously, if, if push comes to shove and Keyshawn's your clear number one, KJ's your true true, true uh, your clear number two. There we go. And uh, Julian's your clear number three. Then you just run with your rotation. But in a world where all three of them are similar, or two of them are similar, or whatever, there might be matchup-based decisions that you can make, and obviously, Tab Boyle's the kind of coach you want to have when you're in that situation. So, I thought in general I was encouraged. Um, I think Keyshawn played very well. Um, KJ had some serious flashes. And Julian, you know, he had a couple turnovers, but he also did some things where you're like, oh, okay, so this is this is what he's going to provide. And it, he might be more of like a year away type of guy, but when it clicks for him, or if it clicks for him, I guess is probably fair, um, he could be, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie? He, he kind of fit in that mold. I didn't see him as much at Colorado, though, I guess. Um, so, yeah. I think those are the notes there. Um, Loss and Lovering, there were some nice plays. Um, there there was one where he got the ball on the block, a little pump fake, gets the guy up, will step through, two-handed dunk. You, you, you like to see that sort of stuff because that's what it's going to come down to for him. Um, I mean, also just putting on size, obviously. He needs to bulk up. He needs to get stronger um, because in those first few possessions, you know, Evan Batty was on the other team. Evan was just going right at him. And honestly, like, the results probably favored Lawson a little bit. Evan didn't have his best day. Um, and sometimes I feel like that isn't fair. Like, his shot wasn't falling. And he gets a lot of those kind of tricky, one-handed type of shots from in the post. Um, he doesn't always give himself super easy finishes. He just has a nice touch around the rim. And when those aren't falling for him, it's it's not going to be a great day. Um, and so I do think that he played well. It's just that the shot wasn't falling as much. Um, but a couple of those early possessions, you know, he's just going right at Lawson. I think they actually took Lawson out of the game like five, six possessions in. Um, but, I mean, that's Evan's role there. It's like, okay, you, you want to see what this looks like. This is what this looks like. And maybe, maybe Evan is the worst matchup for Lawson. I think you could make that case. Um, because obviously Lawson has the length. He's seven foot plus and has arms that are honestly kind of like abnormally long. Um, and so if you throw one of these like five star seven footers at him, you know, whoever it is, Aiton or whatever from the past, I, I don't want, I'm not going to say he's going to win the matchup, but it, it does kind of fit his strengths a little bit. You throw... Evan Batty's 260 pounds or 270 pounds or whatever at him, he's going to be able to bully him a little bit. And and especially with Batty's touch game, where he doesn't have to worry about the length quite as much. You know, his little, little hook shots, that sort of thing. Um, so 
what I'm trying to say is, like, I think if you guys weren't there, you just want to hear was he good or was he bad. And with Lawson, I would say we probably saw about what we expected. There were some moments where you're like, wow, this is a good basketball player. And there were there were more moments where you say, yep, there's some work to do. And he's going to get pushed around a little bit. And so until he becomes just an elite finisher offensively or a knockdown jump shooter, he did hit one at the buzzer uh, at the end of the first game that was, or was it the, no, it was the, uh, it was a shot clock thing um, where he was basically from the logo, um, but, but a little bit outside the logo. He was from the side a little bit more, but front outside-ish logo. And he knocked it down. He drained it at the end of the shot clock, um, which is cool. Also, Javon Ruffin hit a long one um, at the end of the first half. And I think they said it was after the whistle, but that was, like, it was more than three-quarter court. He was behind the free-throw line. Um, he drained that one, too, which was fun. Um, with Lawson, though, again, give him a B, B-, minus, um, some, something right around there, probably. I don't think it'd be a B+. Plus. Um some nice moves see the potential for sure. Um, and I do think he probably is a part of this rotation right out the gate. Um, if, in case that hasn't been clear. Um, Luke O'Brien made some crafty moves. Neek was pretty crafty around the rim. Um, it, it's fun to see how these guys work out. Cause like Luke O'Brien, he's a big dude. And I think that he fits in well at the three. Um, I think that he's maybe even, he brings some size to the three, that that's kind of his advantage at this point. So he, he, he'll he have the, like those crafty finishes. He can make some hook shots, some little turnarounds, that sort of thing. Um, the kind of, kind of the stuff that he was trying last year, they just didn't go in. And now with another year of work, I think that you might see those fall more consistently. But he's also put on some size. I think that you like him defensively from that position because of that. Um, and so I do think that he's a part of the rotation at that spot. Um, and it's, he like he looks big. He looks like a linebacker or something. But I mean, obviously taller. It's just that when you look at basketball players standing together, it's like oh, you you just adjust. You're like oh yeah. So here's the guy in the middle. He's probably like in your eyes like six feet tall or whatever. But he's really like six feet five. Um, yeah, whatever. Neek, another one of those guys who's more crafty than just like explosive. Um, and you wonder if maybe it just didn't the explosive abilities didn't pop so much. But while KJ's going up there... See, and that's the thing, is KJ just kind of changes the standards because he is so explosive. Um, and and you've got other guys like that, too. Like, Jabari is pretty explosive. Um, yeah, but... Neek, I do think there's a role. I just... I'm curious to see what he looks like um, in games. I want to see more from him. Um, Eli Parquet, he looks like he's added some to his game. First of all, a lot of those steals were Eli. And I think that that's so nice to have a guy like that around and be like, nope, that pass doesn't work at this level. Nope, that pass doesn't work at this level. Nope. And he obviously is one of the very best defenders in the conference. But when those are your standards, it's like, ah, oh, this doesn't, this won't work. Can't try that. It, it's going to really help once you're going up against even worse defenders in Pac-12 play. Um, but none of that's a surprise. We know that about Elijah, sorry. Um, and offensively, I thought he showed more. He, he was ball handling more than we've seen from him in the past. Uh, his shot was falling. Um, he had a nice little 
step back fade jumper uh, on the baseline. It was kind of a short clock situation, just a little crossover, nice and patient, in rhythm, steps back, a little fade to it, knocks it in. He had some some nice shots um, that, that weren't three-pointers, and, and shots he actually got himself off the dribble. And, you know, we come into this saying, just need Eli to be himself. Be, be a good defender. Be good from the three-point line. And there you go. You're set. You're ready to go. Um, and Tad, Tad himself has even said, like, yeah, we don't want him to play outside of himself. He is He's a good at what he does. He just needs to go be a good basketball player, and he'll be doing his job. He's capable of a little bit more, though. Um, you saw that when he was ball handling a little bit more. And I think that... Well, you're probably not just like going to Eli. You know, you have to remember he's he is a shooting guard. He's somebody who he isn't like elite in getting his own shot, but he has some veteran moves out there, and he plays like a veteran because he is a veteran. He's one of two scholarship seniors on this team, but I think I think he. It's crazy to think that two years ago it was kind of frustrating having him out there, um, and that we we're having those conversations with Eli and Dalen Koontz and. Um, what that would have been Maddox's first year, and he's like, ah, what, what, what are you doing here? And then last year, Eli really finds himself in a niche on this team, and now, like I said, he 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 does more than I think we give him credit for, and I think a lot of that he's added, and that's why I'm really excited. I've been kind of holding off, waiting to talk to him um, until I, I really want. I'm excited to write about him. I'm really excited to write about him. I'm really excited to talk to him before then too. Um, but yeah, good, good day for Eli. Just looks like a veteran guard. And if push comes to shove and you've got to, you know, lighten the load on these point guards a little bit, Eli's capable. Eli's capable. You're not just thrilled to be running pick and roll after pick and roll with him, but he's he's a solid veteran guard. Um, and he has some... some he's crafty, too, on offense. Um, I think those are probably the biggest notes. Um... Nothing else really coming to mind outside of the notes. Fun watching Javon play. Um, he's a little behind, obviously, because he didn't get to play all summer with the the hip thing. Um, oh, was he knee? Now, now I'm starting to second guess things. But uh, he got back in time for like the second practice of the fall, and he's he's fun. He's fun. You know, I talked to him. His dad wants him to be a point guard. He's big for a point guard, but he's a smart guy, and you see him out there decision-making. I think he, he plays a little bit slow. I think that's probably true of a lot of these younger players, but he's one we look at. It's like, okay, there's there's something there. Um, it's just speeding up, making decisions quicker, doing that sort of thing. When, when you want to be a point guard, obviously, a lot of it has to do with making quick decisions and, and reading things quickly. And again, I, I want to make it sound like Javon had a bad day or that he's f- super far away from being a valuable piece or anything like that. But he's he 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 made some nice plays, and you can see where he has room to grow, which is true of a lot of these guys. Um, nobody I didn't think really struggled. Um, Evan Shaw wasn't falling. He made he he made at least one three. I think he made a couple of threes. Um. Yeah, I guess we'll we'll leave it there. More basketball talk to come, obviously, as we get closer to the season. We're we're really close to the season now. This month is flying by. What ten days, nine days away from that exhibition game? 
the that's the road exhibition game. They have that home exhibition game before that against Mines. I'm actually gonna pull the schedule up because it's like throughout throughout the off season you're like, okay, end of October is when exhibition happens, beginning of November is when real things happen. Um, and that's good enough. And then now we get to the point where it's like, okay, what day is this? It's time to start knowing the actual dates. Yeah, October twenty seventh, so nine days is Mines playing an exhibition game in Boulder. Then October 31st, that's a Sunday, the Buffs will be at Nebraska. So that's when we'll really start to learn. Um, Then November 9th, it's a Tuesday, Colorado opens the season at home against the worst program in all of the world, the Montana State Bobcats. We do not like them on this podcast. Okay, um... Like I said, that'll do it for that. Um, well, I remind you guys on Saturday, I'm going to be out at the DMVR bar drinking some Breckenridge beers. Had a chance to drink a lot of those at, over the weekend. Had some yesterday. First of all, on the tailgate, the show, and then at our Broncos tailgate. Um, then I spent too much money on going to that Raider game because it was just really sad. We don't need to go down that road, though. I just appreciate that Breckenridge Brewery put me in a state of mind to cope. And they give us great beers, great seltzers. You should definitely check those out. And you can do that by using the beer locator on the Breckenridge Brewery website. It'll tell you exactly where to go to pick up whatever beer it is that you do want to try. Um, Also, another week of the NFL season means another shot to win big at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Uh, There's one game left this week, and new customers can bet just $1 on that game, the Monday night game, and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. Last 0-0 tie in the NFL was in 1943, so it's a no-brainer. DraftKings customers can also get skin in the game with new same-game parlays. It was a really long weekend. It was a really long weekend, and I'm so tired still. Um, Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code DMVR and bet $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. It's promo code DMVR this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports main partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call one 800 522-4700. Okay. Um, like I said, I think that at this point in the season, in this world we live in where Colorado is pretty disappointing, um, it's it's good just to, to take this first day of the week and say, okay, where are we? What are the expectations? Um and just kind of reset because obviously things went really, really far south for three straight weeks there. Um, after the bye week, getting Arizona, you're bouncing back a little bit. The question is just how far is this bounce back going to go? Um, how far did it go? And with Brendan Lewis looking good, I think that it's easy to be excited. Um, Colorado winning a game, you know, they're going up against Cal. Cal has really struggled this season, except for that game on Saturday where they just about beat Oregon. Um, they were, they were in it throughout the entire game down to the end. And again, what, what can we read into that? I don't even know. Um, but right now Colorado is plus nine against 
California. Opened at plus 10.5, uh, since moved to plus 9. Uh, 80% of the money is on Colorado's side of the spread, um, which, I mean, makes sense, considering they already had to move that line. Um, but that is the national perspective of Colorado, is... Nine and a half points worse than this Cal team that, uh, I mean, again, they were a lot e easier to evaluate before Saturday. Um, but people want that bet. Um, the the over-under set at 43. So what does that mean? If it's nine-point spread at 43, that means that it's like 25 to 18 or something is what they expect. That's not right. But it's right around there. Um, so there we go. In terms of this game for Cal, I, mean, I don't think that Colorado is going to win. I will say that. I think that you have to look at these two teams and say Cal is the better team. Um, at the same time, this game is winnable. Um, it's, it's tough that it's on the road, but this game is absolutely winnable. And I think that it helps probably that the style of football Cal wants to play isn't all that explosive. You know, you look at these teams that Colorado lost to. First of all, Minnesota just beat them down. But from there, you lose to Arizona State. You lose to USC. And both of those, both those offenses, they are tough to stop. And in college football, good offense beats good defense. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily true in the NFL. It's more true than it has been in the past. But in college football... Unless it really is like like Georgia, there's very few offenses that are going to put up 30 on Georgia. But I think there are some that exist. Um, on this Buffs defense that's top three in the Pac-12, you go up against a team like that and you're like, okay, this is a good defensive performance if we keep them under 20. Um, it's all right if we keep them under 30. Um, it's a little disappointing. And... Obviously, things kind of got out of hand, and I think that going up against a Cal team that, yeah, Chase Garbers is one of the better quarterbacks in the Pac-12, but the reason for that is he's a veteran, and he knows what he's seeing on the defensive side of the ball. He, he knows who's going to be open. He knows he's just a really smart player. You know, he's going to miss some throws out there, too. And these receivers aren't all that explosive. The running game is solid, I guess. I, I, even that might be a little bit hyping them a little too much. Um, I think that this defense with these corners, this is probably the best test that you get. Um, it doesn't sound like the Nigel Bethel injury is going to have much good news, according to Carl Durrell's press conference today. Um, we should hit a couple notes from that while we're here. Um, it's, it is a knee doesn't sound great, but they're still figuring that out. Um, Levante Chenault, his suspension... Actually, the way Carl phrased it was, as of today, he's got one game left to serve. And so he should be back for that Oregon game next week um, after the game against Cal. Um, when it's phrased like that, as of right now, it's like, dude, stay stay in line. Let's, let's not have any flare-ups here where we've got to push you back like come to practice be good at practice what whatever it is that's going on um so there's that um Ashad he has a little knee thing too that's why he didn't play on Saturday I think yeah I think it was neat um and those are kind of the big notes there but yeah back to this you lose Nigel Bethel which 
is disappointing in this game. Um, he's played really well. He's given up, I think before this last game, I haven't checked since, he'd given up like a 63 passer rating this season. And when Nigel Bethel went down, uh, or sorry, when Chris Miller went down, the, the, the slot defender, they moved Makai Blackman into the slot in those nickel packages and put Nigel Bethel outside. And so he's been out there quite a bit. I think they're going to put Nico Reed out there now. Maybe Tyron Taylor, we'll see. Um, either one of those guys, it's going to be really exciting to see. And I think that they have some some good options, honestly. I'm excited to see whoever it is get those reps. At the same time, Nigel Bethel's playing at a high level. It sucks to lose him. So you've got two good corners, Christian Gonzalez and Makai Blackman, and all their numbers are really good too. But this is kind of the test for those guys is, okay, you, you couldn't hold up against Drake London. Not many corners in the country could hold up against Drake London. Now you're running into a veteran quarterback. You've got to cover well consistently in this game. And, and this will be a good test for him, I think. And I think that I would bet on Colorado's pass defense versus Cal's passing offense. And obviously with Nate Lambton and that defensive line, I'm taking their run defense too. I think this is going to be another low-scoring game. You just wonder what's going to happen with Brendan Lewis. And that's kind of the, the, the topic that I wanted to get to here. I mentioned this earlier. You, you look at various things that happened in that game, and you could say, uh, not so sure Brendan's totally figured out. You look at other things and say, wow, just look at what he did on that play. Um, and I think that because of that, at the very least, he has some confidence. And I think that that really, really is important for him in particular. Um, I think that he lost some confidence. And I think that because, you know, he, he just doesn't trust his eyes. And he did a lot better job of that in the second half of that game. Um, and I think he kind of got into a rhythm, maybe for the first time in his career. I think you could potentially say that he got into a rhythm late against Northern Colorado. But I would say for the first time in his career on Saturday, he got into a rhythm as a quarterback. Well, he finished 12 of 18 maybe, 12 of 20, something like that, with a few drops in there too. Um, too many drops, honestly. But what is he at this point? It is so tough to say. And if he turns out, if he can do what Sam Neuer did last year, I think that this is a 60-40 game in favor of Cal. Um, if if he, he does what he's done for the majority of this season, then this is like an 80-20 game, 85-15 maybe even. Um, and, and so that's where this whole thing is. I don't know. I don't know what to expect from Brendan Lewis, um, but I do know that I'm really excited to watch him um, and, and more excited to watch him than I've been since uh, before the season. You know, even after that UNC game, there were some concerns. It was like, oh, okay, things went well, but not as well as they probably could have. And then from there to go to A&M, to go to Minnesota, to USC, to Arizona State, there's uh there's concerns there were concerns or no it was Arizona State and then USC wasn't it but this is now exciting again it's a young quarterback who's very talented who now has put that talent on tape um again what is he I don't know is he quarterback eight in the Pac-12 is he quarterback 12 in the Pac-12 I don't think he's 12 because Arizona just lost Gunnar Cruz, who played most of that game. And Brendan Lewis absolutely outplayed those quarterbacks. So, hey, he's, he's moving up the rankings. He's number 11 at worst. Um, 
but still just unpredictable because it's a freshman quarterback playing college football. Um, but it is exciting. And I do think that this is a game where Buffs fans should go into it thinking we have a real chance to go win. You know, it might not be we're favored or we should win or whatever, but there's there's more than one path to a victory against this Cal team. And at the end of the day, that's kind of what you look for. You know, it's kind of crazy looking at Bronco fans right now even. Or it's like, it's end the season, it's all over. It's like, yeah, things look really bad. And I don't think that the Broncos are going to make the playoffs by any means. But they're 3-3, three and three, and they're sitting at number 8 in the AFC, and seven teams make the playoffs. And so it's like, yeah, do things need to get a lot better? They do, but you are still alive. And sadly, the Buffs just aren't really alive. Um, if they beat Cal, then they're back alive for a bowl game. We can say that. Um, they'd, they'd be 3-4, and four, which sounds like you're more alive for a bowl game than you, you'd think if you look at the rest of the schedule with Oregon and some of those other teams. But, you know, with the Broncos, it's just like, what, 538 says there's a 24% chance they make the playoffs. There's still a very real chance this is the best season since the Super Bowl. And people are just all the way out. And I hope that Buffs fans aren't right there right now because there's there's hope this week. There's hope this week against Cal. Um, and if you beat Cal, then all of a sudden there's there's even more hope going forward. You still probably – I don't think there's anything that could happen against Cal. I mean, if they go out there and win 40-something to zero against Cal, yeah, I'll be hyped going into Oregon week. But – there's like a 2% chance, a 1% chance that I'm calling Oregon a winnable game next week. Um, so, yeah, this is a big one. Because if you beat Cal, then, I mean, Utah is not good. Um, Washington State is in some turmoil, and they're not all that good. You've got some more winnable games there. But if you, if, if you get more of the same against Cal that you've been getting in, in every game except for against Arizona, which has now lost 18 games in a row, you're not looking at any of those games and saying, hey, this is going to happen. But this week, with what we saw on Saturday, plenty of reason to think it could happen. Um, and so there's 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 where I'm at going into this week. Um, I'm, I'm, I think there's no football media availability tomorrow because of the basketball situation, the media day. Um, but on Wednesday, I think I'm going to try to talk to – Nico Reed and Tyron Taylor. I need to go back through and just see who is getting the most reps back there, but I think it's Nico Reed. It's got to be Nico Reed that's up next. Uh, but I'll figure it out. I want to talk to those guys, hear what they're thinking, subbing in for um, Nigel this week. But yeah, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Um, that's going to do it for today. I'll be back tomorrow with some basketball talk, maybe some football stuff too, and I'll see you then.